How, I believe don't keep it. using that word. How witty is it? Just see the, com- the I forget the guy's name. He's a southern comedian. He's talking about how he and his wife over the weekend got in a fight over the phrase one fell swoop. One fell swoop. One fell swoop. He says, I know you newly married people are like, how can you argue about this? He goes, trust me, this is a 10 plus year marriage kind of argument. Yeah, I don't think you know what it means though. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I had to get it. I had to get the last. It's, it's Mar- much funnier. Marriage advice. Much funnier when he did it. Don't argue about something you can Google. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. Well, on that note. Brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president here and professor of Old Testament. I'm joined by Dr. Paul Jean, professor of New Testament, senior pastor at New City Presbyterian Church. Dr. Grace Utanto, professor of systematic theology. And Dr. Tommy Keene, academic dean and professor of New Testament. And... Uh, Joining us perhaps in absentia will be Dr. Peter Lee, Dean of Students and Professor of Old Testament, who's not feeling well at the time of recording, and uh, we might try to find a way to, can, can we? We've quarantined him. We've quarantined him. The problem is, you think we would have learned from pandemic how to quarantine and also still record, but we haven't. So we're, we're going to try to splice, or is it splice, you know, we're going to try to get, bring him in at some point down the road into this episode to get his contributions because this is kind of an all call episode where we're going to talk about theological highlights. That's what it says on our sheet. Theological highlights of 2022. This will be a far ranging and fascinating conversation. I'm sure brothers, but what we want to do is, talk a little bit we're to start off with yeah theological happenings whether it's writings events at rts that stuck out to us uh new movements that were launched you know dreams that were realized how did 2022 go what what pops out to you guys as the uh as highlights from the year 2022 why why do i get to go first academic dean you know uh seniority (laughs) I don't want to go first. Hmm. You, oh, you don't want to go first. Really? <laughs> He's sticking to his guns. Okay, Paul. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about... I'm still the new guy, so i got to tip my hat here. Okay, okay. But you're the theologian, and it's got theological in the title. Yeah, it didn't say ancient Near Eastern highlights. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It doesn't say year. Greek is, grammar highlights. Everything is theological, guys. We don't have that. Come on. Well, I guess one thing that happened this year, and we did talk about this in a previous episode, was the Theological Conference. And I, that was kind of a highlight of the year for me because it, 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 was, it was back in. It was kind of getting back into those kinds of conversations and a reminder that the world goes back to some level of normal, at least, from, from time to time. And, um, and from a theological point of view, uh, it it corresponded with another highlight, I think, at least for me, a long-term goal was to have uh, Dr. Gaffin on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and we got to have him on the podcast, and you can listen to that episode uh, in a a, previous month or so, Uh, and 
one of the kind of outpourings from that podcast was was the need to do uh, the centrality to think about the centrality of the resurrection and ascension in Hebrews. And one of the things that came out of ETS and SBL and uh, and the conferences this year was actually work on that is being done. Um, it's not being done so much in the Gaffin redemptive historical tradition. I think that's still a component. But uh, so, some things like spearheaded by David Moffat, um, Bobby Jameson, who's taught taught for us and will teach for us in the summer, uh, Madison Pierce. You've got a lot of new folks paying very close attention to the role of the ascension and the priesthood of Christ in the epistle to the Hebrews. And that's exciting. I think it'd be nice to see some interaction with Gaffin and Ritterboss and that, but uh, and Voss, but uh, uh, but at least we're we're seeing a renewed attention to to the role of the ascension and atonement and priestly language in Hebrew. So that for me, yeah. that was a theological highlight to yeah, see I, to see that trend in 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 Hebrew scholarship. At least. I, I can see that, and it, it actually for me also highlights just this continuing. It's interesting to see how movements develop, and I think in in that space, I kind of. Yeah, I think I can rightly consider that a part of sort of the theological inter- uh, theological interpretation of Scripture movement, and there seems to be more um, early on a movement that seemed very much to be about retrieval, and maybe even in certain other circles, reception history has moved into engaging with exegesis a little mm-hmm. bit more. I think particularly about Jameson's work and the way in which. It's not neglectful of exegesis in biblical theology, but is starting to engage with that as it matures. Yeah. It, it does it not just staying in the space of what have others said about it and kind of developing, you know, that golden bread, golden braid of uh, of of interpretation through church history, but now saying, okay, so how do we use use this in light of modern exegesis? And I hope that as that continues, you will see engagement with people like Dick Gaffin. Yeah, that's another kind of component of this discussion is the recovery of hermeneutical theory in a kind of evangelical tradition. I feel like, and this is just an impression maybe that I've had, but the the impression I've had over the last decade or so is that hermeneutics was sort of a a dangerous thing to talk about, that to, Mm -hmm. to... especially to do kind of constructive, non-defensive, non-apologetic kinds of approaches in hermeneutics was was something of a, you know, this a, a danger zone. And I think especially with, with TIS, um, even more so than the redemptive historical tradition that I come from, you've seen a recovery of hermeneutical theory as a valuable, constructive asset yeah. in exegesis and theology. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Again, it, it, the redemptive historical tradition, I think, has been there for a while. Yeah. Um, and, and right now, I think TIS is, is taking the center stage but, uh, in, in those discussions. But it's, an, it's exciting to see, at least, hey, Ricoeur might be valuable to us as interpreters of the Bible. And we don't have to just uh, take a bat to postmodernism. There might be insights there that we can incorporate within a Christian philosophy of of language and meaning that might be helpful to us. Right. And that reminds me of another theological movement that had picked up 
some speed before 2022, but I was happy to see it continue into 2022 without abating, and that is the the revival of uh, interest in continental theology, particularly at the turn of the 20th century, and neo-Calvinism that has continued on um, unabated, and uh, and at least as far as I can tell, but we have one of the leading members of what did Tim Keller call you? The Bavink Mafia. Was such, that a, such a beautiful segue. Yeah. <laughs> did you like that? Yeah, it was yeah. just amazing. That's professional work right there. Profound. But, but the you in that previous statement is Gracie Tonto, who, uh, uh, who has a book that came out. It was an early release back during the conferences in November, but will be truly consummated in its release. Uh, <laughs> to use a phrase, um, in 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 February, uh, the book on neo Calvinism, Gray. So tell us a little bit about that. That was one of the highlights for me of of seeing that copy in circulation. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it, we were very excited about this book. Um, there's lots of misconceptions out there about neo Calvinism, but I think now that we have it, you know, more and more translations of Kyber and Bovink out there, more and more interpreters working with original sources. Uh, primary sources on there. Um, I think it's 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 really a good time to really reconsider what the term means, what the theological movement is about, and also to, to therefore clear up all those misconceptions. I think lots of people in the past have thought that neo-Calvinism was a theologically thin but culturally engaged kind of movement, and even some people might crit- criticize neo-Calvinism for being a triumphalistic, transformationalist movement without any um, recourse to theological confessionalism or orthodoxy. So what we try to do in this book is to say, well, that lopsided interpretation and reception of neo-Calvinism is quite mistaken. We want to say, actually, it's got a lot of theological things to say, and it's, it's very much grounded in a reception of Reformed orthodoxy. So the book really covers the theological groundwork of neo-Calvinism. Because, again, the public theological, the cultural aspects of neo-Calvinism have been emphasized in the English-speaking world in such a, to such an extent that the theology has been left behind. Uh, so when we think about neo-Calvinism, we think about cultural engagement. We think about um, public philosophy or public theology, but not so much theolo- theological material itself. So that's what we want to try to do in this book. It's a recovery of Carper and Bobbing's theological material for the sake of dogmatic renewal and not just for cultural engagement. So that's really a refocusing of the, that, that work. And it's obvious from the title of that book, too. That you, I mean, so you're, we're reclaiming the phrase neo-Calvinism and wanting to help shape the way that that's understood against this kind of maybe popular caricature of transformationalism right. or triumphalism. Right. And understanding it a little bit more nuanced in, you know, as, as, as a discipline. That's right. Yeah. And I think to the extent, therefore, that um, self-proclaiming neo-Calvinists have um, resh- moved art itself away or reshaped its um, material such that it's, it's no longer a theological movement. Um, it's really moved away from its original foundations, we just say. And I think it's really exciting in terms of theological highlights for this year to see RTSDC be in that conversation uh, more explicitly. We've had Hank Vandenbelt, who came here at the very beginning of March, to talk about why we should study Herman Bovink in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had James Eglinton here as well mm-hmm. um, to talk about his work uh, on, on Bovink and Bovink's biography as well. And um, so 
we would love to see RTSDC continually be a hub for scholarly conversations on Bavink and broader neo-Calvinism. One of the reasons why neo-Calvinism is now recognized as in line with Reform Orthodoxy and a very theological ecclesial movement is because of the Bavink turn in understanding neo-Calvinism. We want to, again, continue those conversations, but we also want to be a, a sort of translator from the a- academy to the church, to the broader world about what this theological movement is and also how it can resource churches to think about how to live in light of the Lordship of Christ in every domain of life. So that's been really exciting to see. We have also another announcement to make in the coming year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, in about, yeah, in the year, in the next couple of weeks, so early January, we'll be making an important announcement, but I'll, I'll give you a little teaser to it in that we have, we have won a, a significant award uh, as a seminary that will advance this work in not just advanced studies in, in neo-Calvinism, but thinking about how to apply that as a method, uh, looking for an organic unity between uh, across disciplinary sciences, how to think about uh, theology in a unified way, how to be uh, putting all of our disciplines under the lordship of Christ. So we have we have uh, a quite an exciting thing coming up, but we're not quite ready to announce it yet. Yes. But I'm looking forward to, to that announcement as well. And, you know, and I, we were actually we were talking before we started, uh, Tommy, you are talking about our um, most listened to podcasts of the last 12 months, and we can kind of, you know, put in that filter. And what was number one? Number one was Reformation Ethics with John Bolt. So mm-hmm. we great translator of, of Bob Inc. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think, was it number... Three is Why Study Herman Bovink with Hank Vandenbelt. Yep, that was number three. The first three, the top three episodes all have one thing in common, which is that I'm not on them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's exciting to me to see. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's a coincidence. That's an important, uh, yeah, that's important th- metric for us to keep in mind. <laughs> that's right. When was uh, Tommy there? That's right. Why Study Herman <laughs> Bovink was number three. Number two was uh, From Baptist to Presbyterian with uh, Scott Swain. Tommy, I noticed I was absent Oh, in all three as maybe well. It's a new te- maybe it's a grudge against the New Testament. Mm. Maybe it's just us. I mean, we, whatever it is, we should take <laughs> it personally. <laughs> we should take it very personally. Yeah. Uh, and number four was First Peter. Uh, in our reading guide series. There you go. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. Again, I was of the New Testament. <laughs> and, Tommy, uh, I feel like you're pressing this. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you have to do all five. Uh, number five is a tie uh, between Genesis and uh, Q&A on immutability, Old Testament, and biblical backgrounds, which I don't think any of us remember doing. So I, what I'm hearing is <laughs> theology number one, New yeah. Testament number two, Old Testament is tying with itself for number three. <laughs> it just that's, goes to show you how kind of neurotic depressing. we all are that we all take it personally. <laughs> this is like, I forget who, which professor told me he was walking out of the mail room. This is an RTS Orlando. Okay, I remember who it is, but I won't say. And he was walking out with a book that he had just arrived, that just arrived in the mail. And he was flipping through it with his thumb. And I said, oh, you just got that book. What do you think? He said, I just got it, so I'm doing what all professors do. I'm flipping to the index to see if my name's in it. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's yeah, – <laughs> right. there's something about that that's absolutely that. true. Obviously. Wow. <laughs> all right, so the, neuro, the, the neuroses. That's another theological highlight of 2022, neuroses of academics. All right, yeah. let's continue on then. 
Um, well, you know what? I'm sticking on this point, because I think this may dovetail into what may be, uh, in terms of books, a theological highlight of 2022. It's related, though indirectly, to neo-Calvinism, and that is the work of Chris Watkin, <clears throat> Biblical Critical Theory, which came out, gosh, I mean, was that released? November. In November, yeah. too? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, and has taken the world by storm in mm-hmm. terms of the small part of the world that we live in. And uh, I'm seeing it all over social media and receiving book reviews. As a matter of fact, Chris Watkin, who's been on the podcast, you can go back about a year and a half ago. We had him on here. He's going to be up at RTS New York next month and then coming down to RTS DC to give a talk uh, in late January. Yeah. And so um, we all feel very helped and benefited by Watkins' work. He's a trained philosopher, and yet he's taking that approach, that method of philosophical inquiry and applying it to Scripture, drawing out the values and principles that we see developed, sometimes subtly and implicitly in Scripture, and asking about how they help in the modern world. Is that a fair yeah fair description absolutely and i think people in the theological world don't really know how big of a deal chris is um i was talking with jay harvey over the weekend and we were thinking man i think he probably wrote this book just as a matter of a a, a sort of an aside as a hobby for him because he's just gonna spend his weekends writing this massive tome on biblical critical theory but he's uh he's actually it's not just an expert in philosophy i think he's a world authority on french philosophy uh, figures like michael saris michel foucault He's one of the editors for the Edinburgh University Press uh, series on French philosophy, uh, a monograph series, and um, just a serious uh, philosopher, really knows his material. And now, without actually having any formal training in theology, stepping into the theological discipline and trying to seek um, the biblical contours of, of redemptive history and applying that again to the cultural issues of the day. And um, don't be thrown off by the title, Biblical Critical Theory, all that that means is that he's trying to apply the Bible to take a look at the undercurrents of culture and to show that that ultimately everyone is again made in the image of God and can't help it but echo um, Christian doctrine, whether whether they know it or not. So I think um, it's it's really a worthwhile book. We can't wait to have him on campus. Uh, this is January twenty third, I believe, is mm-hmm. when he's coming here for the lecture. That's right. Yeah. So keep an eye on our social media handles, and we'll have links to how you can RSVP if you're interested in coming. Um, you know, he's, he's drawing, he strikes an ecumenical tone, and yet, as I'm reading him, I feel very much at home as a Reformed person, yeah. not, not only hearing hints of Augustine and Calvin, but even 20th century writers like Van Til. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he discovered Cornelius Van Til, I think, um, in his church library one day as a student at Cambridge, and thought that and this, this person's work is is all the material that 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 actually could provide a response to yeah. the postmodern criticisms of Christianity. So I think it's it's really worthwhile. I, it strikes me as right. Yes, indeed. It's also it's uh, the ecumenical tone is help is very helpful, and it's also very readable. It's yeah. you know, it, I, I got a question yesterday. It was tw- from somebody. It was whether or not it would be valuable to read, and and where does it fall on the kind of reading spectrum? Um, and it's it's not going to be a kind of you know sit back with your favorite Max Lucado book, but it, it's <laughs> it's it hits that college level um, that 
brings you into you know a language and a world that maybe you're not familiar with, but does so in a very relatable, yes. ordinary <clears throat> kind of way. Very, very grounded, um, earthy. Yeah. yeah. It's a book that really translates the best of Van Til's material. Um, you know, when you read Van Til and others in the neo-Calvinist tradition, even even Kuiper himself or, or Bavink and, and figures like Herman Doiveerd, they're very hard to read sometimes. You know, not all of Bavink is hard to read, but if you pick up Philosophy of Revelation or um, Herman Doiveerd's um, critique of Western thought, you're going to think to yourself, wow, this is really difficult material. And I've always wished, you know, um, when I first started reading these sort of works, I wish I had someone to translate all that for me. Yeah. And when I read people who try to translate them for me, I was wishing that somebody would translate these translations of these works. So this, I think, finally accomplishes that, and in a way that is not narrow-minded. Um, yeah, um, that, yeah, that, that's uh, that's important that you get that breadth. You get to see Van Til and those other philosophical insights in the breadth of Western thinking, rather than through a kind of focused lens of Presbyterian Reformed. Yeah. Um, which, which is I think helpful. Yep, that's right. Big yeah. tip. Yep, that definitely. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you, Greg. No, this is wonderful. Um, I'm I'm thankful that 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 this this book is finally here, and we're all still thinking through it, and we can't wait to have Watkin around. Um, so looking forward. Um, again, RTS DC hopefully would be a, a center for these sorts of conversations and um, students to research deeper into this tradition because it really is fecund for how to how to relate the Bible to all of life in a way that isn't simplistic, narrow-minded, or biblicistic. Um, I could mention another highlight in this respect. Look out soon for um, the TNT Clark Handbook to Neo-Calvinism, which I and Corey Brock have edited. Um, it, it's been wonderful to look through 39 essays from 39 different authors. Um, Chris Watkin is one of them. He wrote on Neo-Calvinism and Continental Philosophy. So Editing that book um, throughout really most of this year has been a highlight for me as well. So look out for that. <clears throat> and Gray, you had a baby too. We had a baby too. Yes, uh, which is kind which of is theological highlight. A, a sort of theological yeah. highlight. Yes, uh, we arrived in America also technically this year. I guess um, it's been it's been wonderful. It's been a very busy year, a very fruitful year indeed. Paul, you also have been writing on uh, the pastoral epistles. Well, that's an important contribution. No, it's an old one. <laughs> well, I've actually been working on Galatians. The Gospel Coalition material, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that. Wait, Absolutely. Own it. Own it, Paul. Come on, no, Paul. Well, this my is mind good has stuff. actually been on Galatians. And, um, so for the Gospel Coalition, what else Galatians? I'm sorry. The Gospel Coalition commentaries. Oh, that's uh, that's on the pastoral epistles. That's what I. That's what I had. Okay, let's start this all over. <laughs> that's what I had. That's what I had, I knew you had the First Timothy. That's the older stuff. But you're tra- you've translated that stuff to the Gospel Coalition yeah, yeah, commentaries. Yeah, I think so. But <clears throat> my mind actually has been a lot on. Uh, wait, do you guys want? Okay, to we want to talk about Galatians. All right, <laughs> We're talking about the, la- the highlights of last year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's Has the, the highlight, highlight of last year been recently? Your mind's been on Galatians. Yeah, because that's the commentary I've been working on. Okay. So, this is all going in, by the way. I'm not editing <laughs> any of this out. Well, okay. So this is how my bizarre mind thinks. Um, my main commentary was actually N.T. Wright's. So I began with that one very purposefully because I wanted to read <clears throat> something a little bit outside of my uh, worldview. Uh, wait, is worldview the wrong word? 
my convictions. <laughs> and then I used, uh, who's that guy? Doug Moo. Yeah, mm-hmm. Doug Moo. The opposite. The opposite, which I thought was useful. And then I read Gaffin's new book, which I found so helpful, even though he doesn't comment directly on Galatians. <coughs> what's, what's the title of that book? The Fullness of Time. Mm-hmm. And then I read Moses Silva's um, essay on genitives and mm. justification mm-hmm. and covenant nomism. And Is that in the Carson edited yeah. volume? Yeah. And during that time, I was reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's memoir, okay. um, Total <laughs> Recall. But he said something in... <laughs> He said something in his memoir, which I Is thought was... the name of the, the, the <laughs> well, I can't called. wait till all these threads to come be. together. So yeah. this is what I was thinking, actually. So one of the main things I got <laughs> from his memoir was um, he talks a lot about the importance of marketing your material. So he's talking about a bunch of like movies he had made, which he genuinely believed were phenomenal, like Terminator mm. 1, Terminator 2, and all of that. Jesus, he's but doing okay so far. Yeah, he's done well, but... Um, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't list kindergarten cop in there? Mm, actually, he did. Okay. He did, but he okay. said one of the most important lessons he learned was to not trust that something is just inherently good, but you have to go and sell it. That was a big part of what his memoir is about. And I was thinking about that because that's so against my nature, but when I was thinking about Gaffin's book and Moses Silva, because people don't know them as well as they know some of these other authors. I was thinking it's unfortunate that like Moses Silva's essay on the genitive is just amazing. It's really amazing. And it really is relevant to Galatians because you know one of the main readings of Galatians is that <clears throat> it's not trusting in Jesus, you know, putting faith in Jesus, but it's Jesus' faithfulness, right? A, a reconsideration of the genitive. And I think Silva actually addressed that years ago, but I wonder why his work is not being incorporated even now on readings on Galatians. And so I've just been rethinking like how to think theologically about the goodness of marketing. So that's how everything ties together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I had the same the same thought when we had Dick on the podcast. Yeah. Just yeah. that he is just this underappreciated gem mm-hmm. and his work would have if it had been more yeah distributed and in, engaged with it would have probably well yeah it, i mean i think it would have changed the debate that we're mm. a lot of the debates that we're currently having the new perspective debate mm-hmm. the jewish paul now debate the radical paul and yeah, it's same thing with like you know gray just mentioned ben till like ben till is one of those authors he's almost impossible to read until one day it clicks and then all of a sudden he's super clear but I do wonder if, like, especially in our Reformed tradition, if we could be more receptive to things like Twitter, social media, not to make a name for ourselves, but um, there are a lot of good resources that just people don't know about. And I just think Mm -hmm. that it would really benefit the church. And so I've been rethinking my views on, like, uh, just how it's important to get out there because the way one of my mentors put it is he said, Listen, if you don't try to market good material like Gaffin's book, Van Til, Moses Silva, then something else is going to be marketed anyway. So you might as well try to put out good material out there. So mm-hmm. that's been on my mind. So are you 
Are you going to join Twitter in 2023? Is that uh, is that no. your New Year's resolution? That is actually to spend something. more time on the internet. Uh, no, no, not, but I am actually thinking about joining Twitter. Mm. So I hope to have just in time for the fall. People. <laughs> just in time. Yeah. <laughs> just when everyone is saying it's about to close. Oh yeah. Well, you could usher in the show, apocalypse. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it brings it back together to our episode on theological conferences, right? Because yeah. um, writing is not an isolation sort of discipline. It's uh, it's a community discipline. Yeah. It's 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 for the sake of a a conversation. We're furthering a conversation, and so um, to merely write and not and to use your, your wording now, Paul, i got to really think about it this way. Even for me, it's hard for me to say it because I, I think I feel squishy and weird when I say it. But, yeah. you know, <clears throat> to write without marketing yeah. is to really keep a diary or to just write to yourself. Yeah. 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 That's I would, something I've been thinking. I mean, yeah. So I came out of public relations and marketing and communications before going to seminary. And so I don't have the same knee-jerk reaction against it. Of course, recognizing the other the other way does work as well. You can, just like something of great value that's not marketed will never be seen, there's a whole lot out there that is merely marketing. Yes. It's, it's, it's empty, it's vacuous, it's yeah. just restatements of old ideas, but because it's got an arm, uh, yeah. a marketing arm behind it, it's... It's, it's amazing, actually, how much people will receive com- a completely old, rehashed idea as if it's brand new because an ad told them it was brand right. new. Right. And there's a mix there. I think, I think the answer actually, I mean, personally, I think the answer is developing a thoroughgoing sense of what it is that you're called to be doing, whether yep. that's writing on Galatians or retrieving aspects of neo-Calvinism or hermeneutics or whatever. And then saying, "Okay, Lord, <laughs> how is it that I'm? How is it that I best steward. express this and steward? You have to use language of stewardship uh, in my conversation and in, in, in all the different avenues in which you've given me. I think there has to be a happy medium because you can also become just a marketing yeah. person who's just thinking about what works and gets out there. Yeah, yeah. and you want to have integrity. If you look at the people, if you look at the people that we remember." in the long term, you know, C.S. Lewis, the people who come to mind in terms of their biographies, you know, C.S. Lewis is one who was famous in his day, but really reached the kind of iconic nature afterwards. You know, Soren Kierkegaard's work was discovered in a drawer uh, after his death. You know, it's not that that's what you strive for, but you still have to have that deep, man, you, you, you have this, Paul, and uh, I think we all do here to a certain extent is that we, you have this kind of deep well that you're drawing from, and that's the base. And then you're you know, stewarding those relationships, yeah, or and giving expression to that in the different aspects of your life. And that may be Twitter, that may be when you're preaching and teaching, that may be when you yeah. your relationships with others. So it is it's thinking more holistically about it, and um, and not thinking that well, this is my this is the, here's the thing I think that academics fall into. We go well, this is my academic work. Let me let me keep it over here. Yeah. This isn't <clears throat> this isn't for everybody else. Right. You know, people aren't interested in this. And you kind of just keep it in a you know under a bushel, as it were. And that's also not believing mm-hmm. the, the thing that yeah. you've been given, right? And it's also thinking about it as accountability. You know, yeah. exposing yourself to these conversations keeps you accountable and therefore makes you sharper because yeah. you have to have these conversations in public. Yeah. Um, with a lot of other people. I think one of the joys for me in the last three years of joining the RTS faculty is collaboration with more in the RTS faculty itself and also beyond. And so it's been, right. it's been wonderful. Right. 
on the marketing note, we should mention, and especially since he's not here, we should say nice things about Peter's Leviticus commentary on well, TGC. And, and you were going to the pastoral stuff on TGC, and I was going to say that the, both of those offerings have been a huge, I, th- I think, I think are a huge benefit yeah. to the church. Yeah. Peter's work on Leviticus, one of the least appreciated books of Scripture, mm-hmm. just because I think people don't, they don't even know it. They just dodge it because maybe it doesn't market itself well. Maybe it, does, say that. It, get, it gets it. <laughs> it get Twitter their, account's not very active. Yeah, people, I think people get their Leviticus diet filled through through Hebrews. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, but... Peter Lee just unpacks that book. I would encourage you. I mean, really, it, it, to our listeners, if you're thinking about what am I going to study in the new year, pick up the book of Leviticus in one hand. And on the other hand, have uh, the commentary that's offered for free, and it's a very accessible commentary mm-hmm. on the Gospel Coalition website written by Peter Lee. And, and one of our keep those next, you know, hand in hand. Yeah, and one of our top questions was, the, how do you do the, the redemptive historical, Christological? Yeah exegesis. I mean, that was a frequent listener question and how to do it, especially in challenging books. And Peter does that in that commentary. Right. Yeah. It's an excellent resource. Well, since my resolution is to market more, (laughs) (laughs) I have, what was it, Gray? Um, (laughs) What did did (laughs) I write? What did did you write about? Um, Commentary. Yeah. So you rebuked me when I mentioned it. Oh, no, 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 not a rebuke. Not at all. Um, Okay. I was just I was asked to write one on first and second Timothy and Titus. <clears throat> I do think my read on it is unique, but that can be a problem itself. It's not entirely unique, but um, just when time allows, I do read. I, well, I skim through every new commentary on the pastoral epistles, and um, I think generally I approach it a little bit differently. But yeah, that might be a problem too, right? Well, You're doing a great job of marketing there, Paul. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, all right, friends. It's, it's a great <laughs> Paul Paul's marketing method. This is a great resource. Everyone should use it, but it's not that great, so maybe not. Well, <laughs> it is great. All right, let me say, as I a third-party endorser, as a third-party endorser, it is an excellent resource, and uh, everybody should check it out. I think pastors will find it useful. And, um so the, I I assumed it was mainly for pastors and uh, not we that Bible that Bible study is not or that Bible is not directed towards academics. That's mm-hmm. my impression. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. whoever wants to just read the Bible a little better. Speaking of other exciting things happening in the RTS world, I mean we were reaccredited, which yep. for those of you in in the world of uh, education, you know that's that's a pretty big deal. So we were reaccredited with, as far as I can tell, pretty. Pretty high scores, which is good. We have a great team who does that work. Dr. Kara described it as an A minus, which means it's an A plus plus. Uh, A plus plus. Check, check, plus, plus, plus. Yeah, Bob Kara, who'll have to be a future guest uh, uh, on the mm. podcast. Yeah, we need he, to have He him influences here. all of us regularly for good, and we should have him in here just to chat about what he's do- doing, both in his academic and his uh, administrative work. He's the provost here at RTS. Um, but one of the exciting parts about our reaccreditation is we actually have to, we have to do what is called a quality enhancement project in which we show one way that we want to make the whole seminary better, okay, in, in past quality enhancement projects. Usually, by the way, these are things like teach students to write essays better or mm-hmm. 
something like that, you know, make the bathrooms more accessible. They're, they're kind of honestly things that you could shuffle off on a class or maybe on just putting a new line item in the budget. RTS has always chosen challenging ones. Our creditors have mentioned that to us. They're like, you don't pick easy things. Our last QEP was to uh, introduce engagement with Islam as a religion, mm -hmm. as uh, an ethical system, uh, as, a, as an issue for Christians to interact with and to integrate that throughout our curriculum. And so we did that and that was a multi-year process. And as a result, we have new classes in our curriculum now that are core classes. Yeah. Um, this year, we're taking one that's a little bit closer to home, but will nevertheless be challenging in that we're actually going to engage with the Westminster Assembly and think about how to have the confession, the larger and shorter catechisms more integrated into our seminary curriculum. We talk about how we're confessional here, and we all are confessional. Um, sometimes that comes out organically in classes, but we want to think about how that comes out more you know, is more formalized and actually shows up in every class. Now, I'm talking about it for a long time, but I'm sitting next to one of the foremost experts in the RTS QEP on the Westminster Assembly. Well, you're sitting in front of two. <laughs> Who else is, is Gray on? Are you on it too? Gray is on the implementation. I was the on implementation. The, the ideas committee. Well, see, you're and, the idea man. So, yeah, I'm the idea Gray's man. Gray's kind and of the, practical. The Gray is we, going yeah, to implement. Right. Right. Okay, all right. So help, help us think, how, how do we do the ideas and the implementation? Okay. On the ideas side of things, I, I, I will admit to being to having been one of the skeptics at first on the committee because, like you said, we are a confessional institution. It's part of our purpose statement you know, in our catalog that we subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. What more do we need to do right. in that area? Right. And the answer that sort of coalesced in the conversations in the committee is actually, though, though we do have a good integration of confessional teaching in our systematics courses, and though we do have, you know, all of our professors are confessional and required to subscribe to the confessional standards and things like that, and, we've, and, and we're serious about that. That's not a casual thing for us. That's a serious thing for us. Those, th those two things are not changing and have always been in place. What we did isolate as an area that we need to improvement is, are we giving our students, when they leave here, do they see the confession as a useful thing in their pastoral right. roles, in, in, in actual ministry? Is it, is it a resource that they lean on, rely upon, use in the course of actually counseling and right. preaching and teaching the people of God? And so one of the things that we wanted to do is better integrate the confession into our practical theology, pastoral theology classes, and to some extent, our New Testament, Old Testament <clears throat> classes. Many of us in the New Testament, the Old Testament, we interact with the confession fairly regularly. It's, it's usually a, a kind of exegetical theological case study as it goes, but how do we mm -hmm. integrate it hermeneutically into the exegetical process? And then from a practical standpoint, how do we use it in our churches in a, in a substantive way that addresses pastoral ministry. So that was the idea, and then we, we turned it over to, Gray, to your, to your committee. It's a pretty good idea. It's a pretty good idea. Okay, okay thanks. You've got to give you credit for that. Um, <laughs> from, from, from a New Testament guy, no doubt. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Yes, confessional, uh, confessionalism and, and biblical theology go together after all. Well, implementation-wise, we're just going to be reviewing um, 
RTS syllabi and other artifacts across the campuses every year. We're supposed to be meeting in Charlotte um, to just discuss uh, the implementations of these things and taking a look at, again, how are we using the confessions in the classroom, taking a look at lecture material, uh, papers written by students, syllabi, to really make sure that we're actually self-conscious about applying these things. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, we should mention that RTS, just like our biblical theological introductions in the Old and New Testaments, and also our big volume on covenant theology, we will also mm -hmm. have a major work that introduces the Westminster Confession of Faith to uh, hopefully a broader audience. It's an edited book by Blair Smith, John Fesco, and John Meether for Crossway once again. And it's it's a chapter-by-chapter -chapter exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith written by the RTS faculty. Um, I'll be writing a couple chapters on there. Scott Red will be writing a chapter on there representing the RTSDC faculty. But it's a wonderful resource that hopefully would get more people to think about the usefulness of the confession. Mm -hmm. Because again, confessionalism is not just something we adhere to, we, we tip our hat to it, but it's, it's really a day-to-day -day, uh, sort of self-conscious principle that we want to yeah. use it. We yeah. saw this at work, um, Paul and I, and you all get to, te get to teach on too sometimes whenever we can grab you, teach a women's Bible study on Tuesday mornings. Um, which, by the way, I should mention that's a highlight. It's a highlight of my week, not just the year. Uh, so Tuesday mornings at 10.30. Check it out uh, if you want to learn more. Uh, you know, click through on our inquiry button mm -hmm. on, this, on the notes, and we'll, and we'll put you on the email list. Um, but we just, just finished last yesterday. We just finished a series on the Ten Commandments. But we did something different this time. We didn't just go through the Ten Commandments. We went through the Ten Commandments with the larger catechism guiding us. Mm -hmm. And this is an ecumenical cross-denominational mm -hmm. group of women, of about 70 women in this gathering. And every one of them to a T came back and said, you know, Episcopalian, non-denominational, you name it, said, the larger catechism, having that walk me through the biblical text, just was eye-opening. Mm -hmm. You know, it was their take. You know, it, it's not that this is like, oh, some sort of rule book that shows you what you're supposed to believe, which is how I think a lot of people think about confession. It's kind of like a constraint on mm -hmm. my belief, mm -hmm. but really it just opens up an understanding of the scripture and it does it in a way that's consistent and um, thoroughgoing and devotional mm -hmm. for them. And I think that they started to get a glimpse of what you're talking about here. The confession is not just something we keep on the side as like a guardrail, mm -hmm. but it really is thoroughgoing mm -hmm. in the RTS system. Yeah. I, I think, to mention as well, just the broader uh, work of all the RTS campuses, there's lots of highlights we can mention from figures from yeah. the other campuses. Yeah, there's been tons of writings that have uh, been um, coming out of RTS faculty. Uh, I'm, I'm struck by this every time I do go to the conference. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just that RTS's faculty is so big now. Yeah. I mean, where are we, about 50, 50 profs or so? Yeah. Yeah, all, I remember yeah, when it was 30. Tons of them at the I said, I said 35 for many years, and someone yeah. corrected me the other day that it's way more than that. But at basically every book table, there's a display with RTS profs mm -hmm. uh, prominently yeah. a, a part of that. So there's been a lot coming out over the last year, both Old Testament, New Testament, and systematic theology. One of the important highlights Gray, you were mentioning to me earlier, was uh, the work uh, that Mike Allen edited. Yes, it's hard to keep up with all of Mike's books, of course, but he has edited the new edition, the new Cambridge Companion uh, to Christian Doctrine, which is just a, a major achievement. 25 years ago, it was Colin Gunton who edited, who mm -hmm. edited it, and now it's, it's Mike. So it's, it's wonderful to have a colleague be the editor for that. And he sent me um, an early preview of the chapters, and it's been really wonderful. 
Um, his chapter on the Trinity is, is, is just a great starting point for the academic study of the Trinity and, and also how to think about the Trinity theologically and how to apply Trinitarian thought to, to other doctrines. And also, um, just lots of other wonderful contributors are being represented in that, in that work. Willie James Jennings has a great essay on black theology, John Baer on humanity. Um, just pick that up if you, if you, if you think about it. It's, it's a wonderful resource out there for you. And in the, in the conferences, too, I was reminded at just how many more RTS faculty works are, are coming out um, in the next year. Um, there's a wonderful series being produced by Lexham Press called the We Believe series as mm-hmm. an introduction to uh, particular doctrines from the Reformation tradition. So uh, taking its cue from the Nicene Creed, just applying, um, um, introducing the biblical, historical, theological, and practical aspects of each foundational Christian doctrine. So Lexham Press is producing this, and it's edited by John McLean and Murray Smith. Mm-hmm, right in um, Australia at Christ College, Sydney. And uh, John Fesco has got a volume coming out on there on salvation. And uh, Blair Smith is writing on God uh, for that book. I'm writing on anthropology for that series. So it's wonderful to see them and collaborate on those issues. And Mike Allen and Scott Sween, of course, are producing a lot more material coming forward and excited to collaborate more with them. Great, have you always been so good with names? Mm. I noticed that that's, that's wonderful. Uh, it's very pastoral. I was so distracted. That was another highlight of this. When, when uh, Kira doesn't wake me up um, at amazing. night, <laughs> it, it gets better a little bit. So, Paul's throwing us off our highlights of the last year game by <laughs> giving us highlights for the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he's very much in the present. <laughs> he's, he's a he's man of the present. He is. It's because he's not on Twitter. <laughs> One more I'd add to that accessible book, Old Made New by Greg Lanier, a guide to the use of the New Testament. Uh, yeah, then the new use of the old is great if you're a pastor, interpreter of scripture, uh, teacher, and you want a kind of a good, quick, uh, accessible resource there. Um, and this is all, I mean, we, we like being a part of this broad faculty. And mm-hmm. it highlights a thing that came out of this over this last year was basically our strategic planning initiative that we did across RTS's board, uh, across you know all the campuses. And uh, we basically went around, interviewed everybody who works at RTS, drew together, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What do we need to do to move forward into the future? And it basically resulted in this campaign called One RTS. And, um, you know, you can see you can see videos of Lincoln Duncan talking about that, kind of laying out the plan, but it really is a part of a larger effort of RTS to operate. People don't, often don't know this. We're not many different little seminaries. We are one seminary with these multiple campuses that all work and engage with each other. Our faculty is one faculty. You you hear the four of us up here in DC pretty regularly, or five of us, but you don't don't realize that actually we're a part of a much larger group of people and we're all Mm -hmm. interacting, we're drawing people in, we're going to other campuses to teach. And this really is one large organization that serves uh, across the United States. I was thinking this is also the year in which we have a new Top Gun. And so we've got to do, like, movies, oh, yeah, music. I thought you were talking about Grey. <laughs> <laughs> Once again. <laughs> Once again. The no. movie. The movie no. Top Gun. Very in the now. Uh-huh. Think outside this room. Yeah. Okay. All right. The Top Gun. 
Grace, we, we, we are we are we are pushing an hour at this point. So, so we need to put somewhere in the notes so, that so if, you, if you want to hear interesting stuff, go to go to the last <laughs> fifty nine hot 42. takes. Hot takes at all right. Hot takes from the last year in entertainment. All right. So uh, how about let me do it this week? Not just entertainment. What are your highlights from the last year in terms of miscellaneous highlights? Anything that you want to draw attention to? Anything that stuck with you, popped out at you, whether it was Top Gun, Maverick, Goes Wild, or whatever the, whatever the subtitle was? So, hot take. <laughs> I don't think that that's I, the I, I wasn't Maverick Goes I Wild? Don't, I don't think it's Maverick no. Goes Wild. It could be. Oh, I thought it was Maverick. Yeah, that's just Maverick. Yeah. Yeah, that's just yeah. Maverick. So here's the hot take for this Top time Gun Maverick. Personal. I felt nothing throughout that whole movie. Hmm. Maverick? Yeah. Did you watch the original? Uh, yes, but only to w- so that I can understand Gray, this. Gray, you're going to have a problem with two of my hot takes. Okay, for, go for it. For this then. very reason that you're saying. It. Actually, Ma- Top Gun, Maverick Goes Wild was not one of my hot takes. But that, that's the, but, but the other one, though, is, which I think you're going to have a similar issue. We can debate about it on the air if we need to. I have been happily surprised by the Star Wars series Andor. Oh yeah, yeah. And mm. what I keep hearing from people is how boring it is. And I don't know why. I get why they're saying that. But there's something about kind of living in the space of Star Wars for this long of a period of time where you're seeing these I mean they get down into like how, how did the prison system work in the empire? They get into like what were the dynamics between outer systems and the inner systems? What was the, how, how did the rebellion start up? Um, you know, it's, it's Mm. kind of fascinating and it is boring and slow, but I just, I turn it on and I just get lost in it. And and this is because this is, I mean, this maybe is related to the top gun issue. It is partly having been a kid in the seventies. I mean, I saw new hope in the theater when it was just star Wars. Mm probably wrongly because I was about three years old or something when I, when I saw it. But I think my parents were like, we can't get a babysitter. We're taking them anyways. Mm. And so this is deeply ingrained, but just kind of walking through the the galaxy a long time ago, far, far away, and just kind of meandering in it. I love it. It kind of reminds me of, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a chill-out movie, but it's mm. in the Star Wars world. Mm. But, Greg, you, you, you're not excited about Star Wars. I feel nothing throughout. You feel nothing. <laughs> all those movies. I like feel, Top Gun. I feel nothing in Top Gun. I feel nothing in all the Harry Potter movies. Okay. I feel nothing in all the Star Wars movies. Okay, but MCU. Except for one, The Last Jedi was pretty good. Okay. Yeah, now everybody's going to wow. look away all from right, me. All right, but yeah. DC, but the DC universe, as I dark as it is, you're, you're good with that. Well, I, Were I, you I, raised I, on comic books? Did you? No, not really. No, okay. I think I think the DC stuff, we, this is just a running joke sort of conversation, but... <laughs> Um, I, I think I'm, I'm, buy into this I'm for the I'm for the underdog, you know. So um, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there's something about the underdog, you know. DC is also overshadowed by Marvel, so I'm kind of rooting them on. But there's a there's a reshuffle now in the DC material, apparently. So except for the World Cup, in which you rooted for the one who won. Every well, because time. because the ultimate underdog, Indonesia, is never actually in the World Cup. Okay. So okay. you know, I gotta console myself in some way. So there was this excellent. Korean drama on Netflix uh, entitled Reply 1988. And if you're not Korean, it's not funny. And if you're Korean, (laughs) but you're young, it's not funny. But it hits just the right spot for like 
people my generation, Koreans in my generation, because it actually helps us to understand our parents better mm. and um, Korean culture uh, a lot better. I, w- I was thinking about it even this morning about how <clears throat> I think at times I can be unduly critical of uh, the familial bonds that characterize Korean families. Mm-hmm. Um, but after seeing that um, show, it uh, helped me to appreciate it. But that show, again, I was wondering, this is why, Gray, you might not like Top Gun. You sort of had to grow, yeah. You had to sort of grow up in a certain time and place to really get why it's so funny. That show was one of the few shows that I was playing in the background. So I was only giving it like 50%, 40% of my attention. But it was one of the few shows that in a single episode of like 45 minutes to an hour would make me laugh so hard and also like get all weepy. So it's uh, done huh. really well. Uh, but again, like... Uh, and is it coming uh, out now? Is it a, like a current show or is it... I think it was reruns? made about a year or two ago. Okay. But, um, but it's interesting that only a certain segment of the population can really appreciate it. But the mm. segment of the population that does across the board um, has said this show captures that generation. I think it's basically about what Korea was like, South Korea was like, right before it hosted the 1988 Olympics or something, which was a milestone in the country. But that show was um, really amazing. Korean shows have been really impressive the last decade or two. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would generalize in that way. (laughs) Well, you got... Parasite, not a yeah. show, but a movie, mm-hmm. and then you got Squid Game. Yeah, kind of like took the world by storm. Yeah, I mean the thing I think about in 2022, like movie, TV series, even music-wise, is like suddenly everything that I grew up with is mainstream again. Mm-hmm. Like even the nerdy stuff, like uh, Lord of the Rings had a new series, Rings of Power on Amazon, Wheel mm-hmm. of Time, like all of these, uh, these books that I remember reading as a kid are suddenly on on TV and I ex- get really excited and then mm. find them fairly disappointing yeah. <laughs> and yeah. wondering wondering if my memories are are, are accurate or not <laughs> um, but uh, but I discovered lo-fi music mm-hmm. okay and that has revolutionized my grading I, <laughs> as background as ambient as, music as, as like ambient music mm-hmm. wall grading I'm, I'm halfway guys I'm halfway done with my grading, why do we have to turn the conversation to? I such just, I just, things? I mean, that is for me. That's pretty impressive. Unprecedented highlight of yeah. 2022. Well done. Yeah, well done. H- halfway done. So no one has halfway, their grades. I'm yet. halfway done. <laughs> if you're listening and wondering where I'm are my halfway grades, because it's my only t- halfway done. My, my TA has done her part of the grades. <laughs> that's, right. so that's why I'm halfway done. That's right. <laughs> the parts that only I can do are left. <clears throat> in terms of books I read I read a book over the summer now I have to say I think it came out in 2020 it's Benjamin Labatut he's actually a Chilean writer historical fiction the book's called When We Cease to Understand Ourselves and actually reading that book with kind of neo-Calvinism bubbling at work okay and kind of engagement with the modern and sort of understanding the modern uh, in light of our Orthodox commitments. It's a fascinating book. Totally recommend it. It is. It's, it's a grown-up book. This isn't something you're going to read with your kids. But what it's about is um, 
it's historical fiction that's deeply well researched about different thinkers in the 20th century sort of coming face to face with modernity and it deals with you know heisenberg not just 20th century um uh, it, it, but kind of it all culminates in the 20th century uh, mm. primarily in quantum mechanics and it's short stories and, and novellas really it's a collection uh, the Holocaust um, the opening stories is very short story called Prussian Blue about that color and all of the sort of cultural and scientific things related to that color of Prussian Blue and it's just it's just a beautiful and tragic and wonderful book that that i recommend and um so like it did come out before 2022 but i read it this past year and i'd throw that in there yeah. when we cease to understand ourselves that, benjamin love that does remind me of a, a series that uh, my wife and i've really loved the last kingdom mm. um on on netflix there's a book series that grounds it. It ended this year. Historical fiction, yeah, kind of the beginnings of. I've the, seen that advertised. I haven't, yeah, checked it out. It's fabulous, and the last season, unlike the last season of some other epic series, uh, was fabulous. I mean, just it ended really, really well. It is. It's also for grownups. Yeah, uh, it's it's very violent, but um, but it was it was excellent and. I think it's through that that I kind of rediscovered a love for historical fiction and then just history. I mean, I've always loved ancient history, but never mm. get out of the fall of the Roman Empire mm -hmm. um, due to my career choices. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know if you all have listened to the Tom Holland's podcast, The Rest is History, but that's mm -hmm. been a fascinating deep dive into various segments of Kind of, it's very similar to what we do in theology, but but from a historical perspective. Yeah, I did. Die, I did get into his book this past year yeah. on uh, Dominion, yeah. which was excellent. So I didn't know he had a podcast. That's great. Yeah, it's very good. Any others? Miscellaneous highlights of twenty twenty two. Well, there's a memoir that I found to be really interesting. It was by the Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger one. It's uh, it's actually by Terry Crews. Um, I think he's the host for America's Got Talent. It's entitled Tough. Yeah. It was, I didn't even know it was published because I don't think it was as well publicized or accepted. But I think there was right. a lot of buzz that came out there because he talks about some really painful stuff, right? Yeah, but, <clears throat> yeah, he talks about, so, but what I found to be very refreshing about his memoir was the, degree of honesty about very difficult subjects and how the gospel comes through like I he's not writing in a reformed gospel way but you know like how we say all truth is God's truth like uh, that memoir was just it's it's about freedom that comes from confession and that's one and his uh, I think one of the reasons why his memoir was not well received is his comments on race are very, very, very worthwhile to consider. It's a minority voice, but mm. it's a very helpful voice to consider. So I, I really appreciated his memoir. Um, just mm. um, like there were a lot of good books that uh, I came across this year, but his memoir really stuck out among, like even I read Will uh, Smith's uh, memoir. What's it called? Is it called Will? Oh. Something like that, but I, I mean it was okay. But compared to Terry Crews, there's something about Terry Crews' memoir which is more earthy, 
I think people will appreciate it. People will be turned off by it. But it's because, like, I, I don't know, there's just so much truth in his memoirs. So. Do you find yourself drawn to kind of entertainment figures in, in memoirs? Uh, I'm just thinking of the, the, broad, three, the three that you've mentioned. <clears throat> no, I actually do historical memoirs too <laughs> but just for the purposes. I love reading memoirs yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. just yeah. yeah the only problem with entertainment is I never know like is this a legit memoir or is this like one of those ones that was put together by a, a bot or something mm-hmm. you know and sold for mass markets well I am struck by how every entertainer writes so well <laughs> <laughs> so that's something I've been wondering but it was a good book good memoir that's excellent thanks all right, friends. It's been a good year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm honored to get to work with you all and count you as friends. Gray, this is the, maybe the biggest. It's not actually technically this year. Yeah. Because you came right before the end, like between Christmas and New Year's last between year. Christmas, but yeah, one yeah, of December the great 28th. things is that this past year we finally had our Top Gun. We had Top Gun, Maverick Goes Wild. Gray Sutanto. That's what he's known as around here. We call him Maverick. I don't know about Ghost Wild or Top Gun, but <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. It's great to be with, with all of you in person. You. That's great. Oh, man. This is such a blessing, but it's great to serve with all of y'all and, uh, and, and Peter Lee as well. Peter, we missed you in this conversation. Uh, but you've texted me during the conversation your highlights, and I will interview. We'll interview. I have told you that we are going to interview you and put it in the episode when we release it. Wonderful. Peter, I'm sorry that we we felt it necessary to to quarantine you in your in your office for the for for our end of year discussion. Oh, that's okay. You know, illness is it's sort of like sin. It doesn't care that Christmas happens to be nearby. That's right. That's right. And none of us wanted to get sick for Christmas, so we so we kicked you out. But we didn't want we didn't want to go the season without hearing more from you about your theological highlights. Oh yeah, no, and, absolutely. And I and and you were texting us during during our <laughs> own discussion, and I and I noticed I, I was particularly excited to interview you because I noticed that your last text was that Tommy's blog on hermeneutics is an underappreciated gem. I mean, Indeed. I can't think of any better place to start than that comment. Well, then let's start there. Yes, I I have thoughts on high, theological highlights for this past year, and given my um. You know, plague-like nature, I still appreciate the opportunity to to share some of these things. Uh, you know, as I thought about it, I don't think what I had to share would be too different than what you guys, I'm sure, talked about uh, during your session, without me, that is. <laughs> it's not that we don't love you, Peter. We love you. We just don't love yeah, you. Yeah. COVID I, I is still with us, I guess. That's you you hate the sin, you love the sinner, right? Yeah. One of the lowlights of 2022 is is uh, the continued presence of COVID in our lives. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and so, no, I appreciate, uh, I feel bad coming in, uh, you know, in my um, mildly sickly condition. Again, I don't feel terrible, but I know I'm not, I'm not healthy, um, especially since, um, you, you know, we're still, some of us are still active in weekly ministry and the last thing we need is something yeah. to kind of drag us down. So, yeah. Uh, so I have no, I, I feel badly even kind of coming in, in like this, but I, I appreciate the opportunity to be given a, uh, a, a chance to share some of my theological highlights that I was um, kind of ruthlessly texting to at you guys. Um, well, one, um, 
that I definitely want to mention is the one that you started with. And again, uh, your blogs, Tommy, are great. In fact, uh, I think that uh, I, I don't know how widely they're appreciated or under, or or uh, viewed out there in the uh, blogosphere. Uh, but dozens, I think a lot of dozens your... of hits per day. <laughs> well, baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> Start with dozens, then we turn to hundreds, then they turn to thousands, and before you know it, you're mm -hmm. going to be a celebrity. That, okay. that's how it, you know, Tim Keller started with dozens. Right, yeah, at, I get at a certain. Mm -hmm. But a lot of your stuff on um, on hermeneutics uh, is are great. They're very thoughtful. They're very uh, insightful. They're extremely helpful in our understanding of scripture and how to interpret scripture. Uh, so, and it works against to to some extent, um, or it provides correctives of some false views that are out there. Especially your stuff on word study. I thought. This is this is terrific. This is exactly uh, the type of thing that needs to be provided as a counter voice to some of the things that are out there in, mm -hmm. in, in like theological dictionaries and and things of that nature. And so, and and that's um, and again, I, I I feel badly that it's not more widely known. You know, the dialogue needs to continue, and and I wish we could do this in a a setting that is more than just blogs or or, or posts here and there. And so uh, since we, you and yeah. I were specifically encouraged to be a little bit more active in um, in our social media platform since then, I know you've taken that to heart and tried to do these things. And that yeah. is, has been for me uh, one theological highlight to read some of your entries, uh, to interact with them and to, uh, uh, I'm not sure what the phrase is, to forward them uh, in yeah. my own platforms as well so so that's been great yeah well um, thanks i appreciate i appreciate it it's nice to hear um it's been fun for me to kind of to do more writing both academic and and more casual in that kind of bloggy style so it's it's been a good outlet and you've been blogging too you've been blogging and you've got your 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 twitter follower count <laughs> is 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 ticking up well, it's um, it, I had nowhere to go but up. And you had the Meredith the Meredith Klein posts this year, which I really appreciated. Yeah, this uh, again, that's another theological highlight for me. Is uh, it's not so much of a new thing as it is just a revival of a of an older uh, thing here. With uh, this being Dr. Klein's uh, centennial birthday, just um, you know about a week ago, almost a little less than a week ago, and. Um, you know, and and I've made no secret my admiration for Dr. Klein, the impact that he and his uh, biblical theology has made upon me, and the great contributions that, that I think he still offers in some very difficult areas of Old Testament, as well as biblical theological studies. You know, his creativity, his um, his insights, uh, uh, yeah. and and so forth. And so, um, you know, one way to try to honor his uh, ministry, his impact upon me personally, uh, was to just share a few quotes. Uh, they weren't very uh, structured. They, there was no flow. It was just sort of, you know, I've been collecting Klein quotes for years, and I just sort of worked through a list of what I thought some might be helpful, some that are, uh, you know, it's hard to find one quote that will, ex will 
exemplify his view on a particular subject, but I tried as hard as I could to kind of mine through his stuff to find mm -hmm. a few things like this, his view on the covenant of works, the Mosaic covenant, uh, um, his views on Adam, his views on Sabbath. I mean, just, you know, the, so that was kind of great to, to, uh, to kind of be reminded uh, of the things that he has done, uh, the contribution that I think he still can make. So that was to me another um, uh, theological highlight to to be able to participate, at least at a personal level, his uh, centennial birthday. Um, uh, I guess uh, another area of uh, of real of a highlight for me was reading Dr. Dick Gavin's new book on um, yeah. on the fullness of time. The uh, his class lectures on his class lectures from Westminster during his time there on Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets in life, uh, but one of them is that I never got a chance to study with Dr. Klein or Dr. Gaffin. I know that you have. Uh, and whenever I have spoken with you and others who have studied directly with, uh, with Dr. Gaffin, I'm always, um, I'm always impressed with the biblical theology that they bring into the New Testament. And that's always been an area of weakness for me, uh, and 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 a lack. So I knew whenever an, I, I could get an opportunity to get uh, Dr. Gavin's materials, you know, he used to teach a class here and there for us way way back. Uh, now he he doesn't do that anymore. So uh, I figured the next best thing would be something like these, uh, like this book, and I hope that he'll do more. Uh, to encapsulate, you know, his class lectures from way back when, and so, so to, to me again, that was another uh, great, uh, a great experience to see again what what I've always sort of known the centrality of the resurrection, but to see it now in his class lectures and come to life a little bit more was definitely another highlight. And then finally, for me, I guess, uh, uh, you know, with with. Uh, Gray, Dr. Sutanto now joining our faculty, and he and he has been such a strong advocate uh, for neo Calvinism and the uh, life and theology of Herman Bobbing. Um, it caused me to kind of reread and rediscover neo Calvinism, particularly through dialogues with him, uh, his stuff, as well as the neo Calvinists who are out there. Um, uh, you know, Gray uh, does a podcast with some friends of his uh, on neo-Calvinism, the Grace in Common podcast. So I've been trying to listen to that. And that's actually been another highlight for me, just to kind of get a reorient or a re or a proper, perhaps, which is a way to do it, proper understanding of what neo-Calvinism is, what it represents. I still have questions. There's no doubt of that. Uh, but it's definitely been helpful in clarifying certain views that I've had and correcting even certain views that I've had. So those yeah, are some I, of the theological highlights for me. Yeah, I think with Gray coming on, we've, we've for the, you know, for the first time, I mean, Gray's been here for a couple of years, but we've had him in person now. And so we can kind of have those water cooler conversations. Uh, and each of us kind of bring in our, um, you know, our background and unique take on things. And I, I think that's another highlight for me is that we've the the kind of integrative conversations that we've gotten to have, like bringing all the departments together, and um, and even you know with Erwin Ince walking around and, and doing stuff with us, and 
um, you know, we've just we've had a lot of ability to have broader conversations about the implications. Gen Jennifer Patterson, too, you know, broader conversations about the implication of all these various fields in uh, in the life of the church. It's been really exciting. Yeah, that's definitely true. Y you know, as as an Old Testament guy, I, I realized I've always known that I had a certain limited um, exposure to the to what's being dialogued or what's being discussed out there. But now that uh, we've got a fuller faculty, um, you know, uh, I have a more af affinity, obviously, with the New Testament for obvious reasons, I think. So I'm more, mm -hmm. I was a little bit more aware of what's happening there. But now with, uh, with, uh, with Gray here, uh, it's op it, it has opened up kind of the modern contemporary dialogue in the mm -hmm. theological area. And that is, that, that's been really helpful to try to get a heartbeat of what exactly are are the and as you know, kind of systematic theology right now is sort of the dominant area of discussion, right. uh, more so than biblical theology for whatever reason. But that it is what it is, and that's fine. And uh, so it's still, even though that's not my area particularly of study, uh, it's still something I need to be aware of. And and so that's been really helpful to hear him. Uh, you mentioned Jennifer Patterson again. I think to. Uh, to he hear her and uh, Gray dialoguing, yeah, uh, and for us to just kind of listen a little bit, at least for me to kind of listen to hear what they're talking about, uh, what are exactly are the implications, what are the issues at stake, has been, uh, it, it's been great just to be, uh, to be more aware of what is being discussed and what are the and what are the thought processes here out there. So I agree the, the the breadth of our faculty now after. Uh, with the additions of uh, Jennifer Patterson, well, she's always been here, but uh, but now she's been more engaged and more active in this past year with Gray, mm -hmm. with Irwin, uh, has given a more of a sense of a of a um, uh, of a relevance, a, a, a sense of uh, an awareness of what's happening around us. Yeah. All right, and then Peter, we all got to share our 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 less significant highlights like uh movie book music you know was there a was there a discovery that you made in 2022 you know we've never really talked about it but it, i i think you probably probably picked up on the fact i'm not a really big fan of music okay okay um and uh part of the reason is most of the time when i listen to music i don't i can't understand a single word that they're saying uh i need it subtitled you know but most of right. these things aren't sub, sub, subtitled and so i i can't appreciate what i don't understand <laughs> so i've tried this past year my kids are into k-pop i've tried desperately to listen to a couple other things and and i i i just don't get it um um maybe i'm just too curmudgeonly i have no idea maybe i, I <laughs> you I, are I you're, you're certainly fitting into the the uh, grandfather figure of the campus father figure thank you thank you for taking out the grand <laughs> so that i guess i don't know that was the waste of time as it is you know as i tried desperately to connect with the what what my kids my adult children or semi you know kind of young adult children are getting into and yeah and that that was i mean again since it was with them that wasn't a waste of time but uh but honestly 
I don't know if I did anything or learned anything that I thought was uh, un unhelpful. Every little bit of information is always nice to learn and, and value to some extent. It, right. it meant something to somebody out there. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm appreciative of, of that and wanting to kind of engage in that as well. All right, Peter, thanks. Appreciate your insights. Sorry that, um, I mean, you're only two office doors away, but it feels like a million miles. Well, again, uh, it's been a good year, a good year for us as a school, good year for us as, I, I would say, as a, uh, as, as a school in terms of our growth. For me personally, in terms of growth, uh, I think it's been a great year for us as a faculty. Um, and I look forward to more and greater things in 2023. Friends, it's been great to be with you. I look forward to seeing you next year. Until then, take care. After Paul mentioned the Korean soap opera yeah. thing. Yeah, we got it. That's <laughs> I was planning on cutting out most of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, hilarious. I love that. Like, yeah, I don't want to talk about the yeah. pastorals. I'm just going to talk about Galatians. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I was trying to answer the question. Yeah, but I was like, that you know, wasn't that was really a on my mind. Too, you know? No, the. the um, <laughs>